Hey, deserving listeners, it's just me today. I thought I would read an email from a patron. Patron Sue wrote in and said, Hello, Kirk. Today on the Psychology in Seattle Facebook fan page, Lyndon posted the following link, and then she provided the link. Could you talk about it? Well, your wish is my command, patron Sue. She wanted me to talk about a Guardian article titled, Search Me, Should You Google Your Therapist? by Louise Chun. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about what the article says. I'm going to talk about the ethical codes involved. I'm going to talk about you know whether or not you should Google your therapist, whether or not you should Google your clients if you're a therapist. I'm going to give my take on it. I'm going to talk about my approach and my recommendations for everyone out there, whether you're a client or a therapist. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a professor and a therapist. This episode is just for patrons of the podcast, like patron Sue and patron Lennon, by the way. So if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Patrons get access to all the premium episodes on their phones or on the Patreon page. And know that a portion of your monthly pledge goes towards various charities that we support. All right. Welcome to the Patron Zone patrons. We love you very, very much. No joke. It's really awesome to know that there are a few hundred of you out there who like the podcast enough to actually donate, which is um, just warms my heart and keeps me going. And I wouldn't be doing it if you guys weren't doing that. So, so thank you so much. Okay, again, article in The Guardian titled Search Me, Should You Google Your Therapist by Louise Chen. So some of this I'm just going to quote and, and then some of it I'm going to paraphrase. But uh, these are just excerpts. This is an excerpt. Pam Custers, a couples therapist working in London, says... I find myself censoring what I put out there. I would describe my approach as extremely... So, again, just to uh, give context here, this therapist, this couples therapist in London, Pam Custers, is talking about how much she puts on the internet regarding public uh, self-disclosure. Quote, I find myself censoring what I put out there. I would describe my approach as extremely mindful about taking certain positions. So I have set my Facebook settings as high as they go, and I try to stay neutral on Twitter. But at the same time, I do worry about having to internalize who I am in the world and how that will affect me, unquote. Yeah, she's, she's being mindful about taking certain political positions. She has, she's mindful of her Facebook settings, her privacy settings, she, it, her policies to be neutral on Twitter, but she feels that her voice is being hampered, if I might say that word, and she wants to be able to voice her opinions about certain things, and so she's trying to strike a balance there, you know, which is a good point, but I'll discuss that more later. Uh, more from Pam Custers here, quote, it's a real conundrum for us therapists. We want to have opinions. We do have opinions. 
But if we express them, some clients may take them as judgments, and I believe people do their best work when I'm a blank canvas, unquote. Okay, so a little bit on the blank canvas thing. There's a spectrum regarding psychotherapists and their approach to this. You have on one end of the spectrum, you have people who are trying to be a blank canvas. And this is what often is associated with Freudian therapy. But Freud was not a blank canvas. Freud's actual therapy was actually pretty complex, and he broke a lot of his own rules or revised his own rules over time. But but neo-Freudian analysts tend to really strive to be a blank canvas. It's, it's, it's a necessary part of the treatment modality because they want to create a situation in which the client is free to transfer as much as they can, as much as they want to, onto the therapist. And the only way they can do that is if the therapist is as neutral or blank as possible. The more you learn about your therapist, the, the harder it would be to transfer onto them uh, or have to be free to transfer things on, onto the therapist. And so, so on, on one end of the spectrum, you have, you have neo-Freudian, what I might call neo-Freudian analysts or other kinds of therapists who really strive for a blank canvas, meaning they reduce all disclosures. They might not have anything on the internet, even with high they might even not, not even have a Facebook page or something. In session with clients, they you know refrain from self-disclosures. In their office, they'll refrain from revealing anything about them. You know, they won't have a picture of their family or anything. So that's one end of the spectrum. The other the under the other end of the spectrum, I uh, I might call instead of the blank canvas, I'll call that that the painted vibrant canvas. <laughs> Um, I think some people might call it the bad boundaries end of the spectrum, but I'm going to put a positive spin on it and just say painted canvas. Um, on this end of the spectrum, uh, due to the therapist practice, the client might know more about the therapist than uh, the therapist's friends and family. Uh, I know therapists who are like this, who disclose so much to their clients that the therapist's own spouse doesn't know as much as the clients know about the therapist. And of course, many of you out there will be saying, wow, that's that's terrible. It's bad boundaries. But it's it's just an end of the spectrum, and I'll get more into that in a second. So on this, on the painted canvas end of the spectrum, there's going to be a lot of self-disclosures from the therapist. There's going to be potentially a lot of in-office disclosures, you know, the therapist has a lot of pictures of their family or what whatnot. And this sort of therapist might not shy away from a lot of disclosures on the internet. Now, it's I want to be clear. Neither of these ends of the spectrum are bad and neither of them are good. In general, if you don't know what to do, then you should probably stick to the blank canvas side of the spectrum. But Empirical evidence shows that self-disclosures, when used well, can benefit outcomes in therapy. And so you, uh, it, you should always strive for, to understand how to use self-disclosure in a good way. But the painted canvas end of the spectrum is really beyond the normal therapeutic self-disclosures. But I'll get more into that later. So just going on with the, with the article here in The Guardian, that uh, this is a quote. This is something that fewer and fewer clients are happy with. 
unquote. So basically what this is saying is, what they're saying is more and more clients want to see more things on the internet from the therapist. And I've heard this. I've heard, I've read this. I've heard accounts of this. I personally, I personally have never run into this. I've, I, I've heard accounts of therapists saying that clients will come into their office and say, and demand that the, that the therapist put more stuff on the internet so that the, so that the clients can learn more about them. Or the client will say, your your web you know or or the clients will won't even contact a particular therapist because the therapist doesn't have enough information on the internet and i've never run into that now of course i'm not in everyone's head obviously but i anecdotally i've never run into this and i supervise many many therapists and am connected to many therapists i'm sure it happens occasionally but but i've never seen it and maybe i've never seen it because i have a shit ton on the internet myself so but but anyway, I just can't imagine someone. I've never, I've never, I, I refer a lot of people, probably on a daily basis. I give referrals to people. People are always asking me for referrals to therapists. And I've never encountered that attitude of, I, there's not enough on the internet of, on that person. I'm going to go to someone else. Now, having said that, if you don't have anything on the internet that advertises for you, then yeah, you're going to miss out on a lot of, on a lot of clients because, People want to see a, at least a picture of your face. They also want to see where your office is and that kind of stuff. You know, gone are the days where you just get a phone number and you just call the therapist and get all in, get all that information over the phone. You know, those those days are over. In fact, if I remember right, I'm ninety percent sure that it's it's an ethical responsibility that you have at least your self-disclosure and your, your main forms need to be available on the internet so clients can access them. Therefore you need to have at least a landing page for that. And you might as well put your picture up there. <laughs> and so it's really uh, important that you have at least a minimal online presence. So, uh, but anyway, this article talks about how uh, young people well, they didn't say young people, but other articles will say young people insist on lots of information on the internet. And I don't know, I've just never experienced that. I th Personally, if I'm just going <laughs> to uh, judge that statement, I, I think there's a lot of older or less tech uh, savvy, more tech phobic therapists who are just resistant to changing their, you know, they've been practicing for 30, 40 years and they've never had a, a website and occasionally they come across someone who is who is a little miffed that they don't have anything on the internet and then the the older therapist gets upset at that now of course that's ageist of me to say but just a guess anyway going on with the article therapist philippa perry makes tv and radio programs and writes an advice column for red magazine she doesn't bury her opinions or her personal life she has 21,000 Twitter followers and is often photographed alongside her artist husband, Grayson. But then she no longer sees clients privately. And this is a quote from her. If your online presence puts potential clients off, so much the better. You probably wouldn't get on anyway, unquote. So again, this is someone not from the States that uses the phrase get on, which uh, it took me a while to figure out. Uh, years ago that get on means get along with. Um, I think Canadians might even use it too. But but anyway, so she's saying this 
therapist Philippa Perry is uh, has a you know is a very involved online, and she's saying that you know if if your online presence puts clients off and clients don't want to come to see you, then you're better off not working with them anyway because you probably wouldn't get along with them. Here's another quote. I'm not going to compromise who I am outside the therapy room, but inside it, I am there for whoever has signed up to work with me, unquote. So my take on this is, yeah, there's wisdom to that. If a client is put off by what you disclose, then maybe that's for the best. Uh, Hopefully it happens before the client ever contacts you so that it's not like a year into therapy and then the client suddenly realizes your true colors and then decides to (laughs) abandon ship. So, so that's, you know, that's, that's still good. And in a, to a lesser extent, what I was saying earlier, you should have a picture of yourself online. There is a certain self-disclosure to having a picture of yourself online and clients will choose based on that picture and so in a way, you could kind of see disclosing more information online as just a further iteration of that. But uh, I don't know about that point of view. But what I will say about therapist Philippa Perry in this Guardian article is she seems a little flippant about her attitude. She says, quote, I'm not going to compromise who I am outside of the therapy room, unquote. That's not a very nuanced or a very flexible approach, you know? What if she had a client who would be harmed by one of her online disclosures? Would she not care about that? She's basically saying she wouldn't care. Now, it also says in the article that she doesn't see clients anymore, so maybe that's a good thing. But, uh, but yeah, so I, although I, I appreciate her kind of coming forward and saying, look, it's not that big of a deal, I, I think she's taken a little, a little too far. Also, in the Guardian article... A client wrote, I Googled my therapist. She'd written some articles about her own mental health. I didn't want a therapist who would be preaching from on high. I wanted them to be able to relate. From what I read about her, I felt she would, unquote. So it's kind of hard to tell from this quote the way it's written. But basically what this client is saying is that when she read online that her therapist suffered from mental issues herself, it helped her to trust this therapist more. So you can self-disclose on the internet in a way that can actually enhance the relationship, but more on that later. Okay. Another thing to think about here is Googling clients. What about therapists Googling clients? Regarding that issue, Nigel Dawson, a therapist based in Manchester, said, quote, The relationship is what's created between the four walls of the consulting room. To be influenced by other routes is damaging to the client and also to the effectiveness of the therapy, unquote. Okay, me just chiming in here. Yeah, it should be considered before you, you know, you should consider the consequences before Googling your clients. But this, but Nigel Dawson, which you just really couldn't get a more British name, it it's it's a little it's a silly again it's taking it too far in my opinion he's saying to be influenced by other routes is damaging in other words without any caveat if you happen to come across information on the internet about your client it will damage things which is taking it a little too far it's not necessarily true i've had famous clients and Sometimes I'll Google them because I'm curious about how famous they are or what the internet's saying about them. 
And the things I've learned have actually helped me understand that better because the clients won't typically tell me, look, this is how famous I am and this is what I run into. And so I kind of did my own uh, you know, detective work so, or just Googling work. And I learned more about their life and it helped me to understand them better. I've also looked up where a client lives on Google Street View to see what sort of neighborhood they live in, to get a feel for their neighborhood and their environment. And, you know, I would only do this, uh, I do this very rarely, by the way, but I have done it. And basically, I determined that it would be helpful for me to know what sort of neighborhood this person lives in, or this family lives in, or this couple lives in. And also, it's recommended, and I'm recommending, that if you ever do Google your client, you should probably tell them you're going to do it and ask for permission or tell them that you did it and then just tell them, look, this is what I Googled. This is why. This is what I found out. Um, it could also help with delusional clients. I don't treat delusional, delusional clients, psychotic clients, but I could see how it might help. You might be able to check to see whether or not what your client is tell you, telling you it is delusional or not you know if they say that they i don't know something fantastical and you googled it and it happened to be true you'd be like oh well in that instance they weren't delusional they were telling the truth but again generally speaking therapists should tell their clients that they're going to google them otherwise the client might be harmed if the therapist accidentally reveals that they know information because it could break trust. I mean, just along these lines, uh, with clients and with their and with uh, students, I've run into the following thing. Uh, I'll 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 tell a student that uh, me and the other professors have talked about him or her or them. You know, I'll, this happened a few months ago. I. Some we were. T- I was talking with a group of students, and I said something like, "Well, you know, us professors, we talk about you guys." And the reason why I said that was because I wanted them to know that we confer, and that we're doing so to try to help them because we care about all of our students, and so we will talk about the students as a way of trying to confer, so we can help each student develop better. Not we don't talk about students to complain about them. You know, it's not like we get together and it's like, okay, next student, let's complain. You know, we, we talk about the students as a way of trying to make the situation better for our students. And so, but when I said that to the students and I said, hey, we talk about you guys, all most of the students that were in the room visibly reacted badly to that, as if it, they were uh, afraid that. I, you know, me and the other professors were talking shit about them. And this has happened with clients too. I, I've, I've told clients before something like, you know, cause they sign a release of information. I talk with the other, you know, say, say I'm seeing a couple and, and one of the people, one of the members of the couple is seeing an individual client and I have a release of information, talk with them. And then, um, I mentioned that we talked for a half an hour about them. Inevitably, even the most confident people tend to get paranoid about that. And I think it's because we're all, we've all been traumatized by people talking shit behind our back. And so whenever we hear people talking about us behind our back, 
it triggers all that and we just get worried that, oh, you must have been talking shit about me and that hurts my feelings when that's not the case. And so in, in that same way, if you ever do Google your clients or I guess your students, you you know, you should tell them what's up so that they're not taken off off guard by that information. Um, other issues that they mention in the article are what if you bump into each other on a dating site or find out more personal details through a friend's Facebook connection? So these are these are these are important questions. If you're dating today, in all likelihood you're doing it online at least partially. Not everyone does, but but most people in my experience at least dabble in online dating. And what if you bump into a client? You know, and I know people who have had that happen to them where or at least they're and I know people who have been paranoid about that happening to them. And there are ways of trying to reduce that likelihood. And and there are also ways of reducing the impact if it ever did happen. So it's it's definitely something to think about, because on the other on the other hand, should people should therapy should all therapists in the world be prevented from using online dating services? You know, that's that's that question. It's like, well, they they should be able to use it, right? So how how can we how can we mediate and and mitigate the potential negative benefits to clients? Also, uh, friend of a friend issues, where if if one of your friends on Facebook who have access to your Facebook account, what if one of them is Facebook friends with one of your clients? And whenever anything gets tagged, they can see you. Or the friend of a friend could actually just ask their friend to look at your page, you know. And so, you know, all those things need to be taken into consideration. Okay. So that's my talk about the article. What is my approach? Well, it's complicated is the issue. People don't often talk about it in a nuanced, complicated way. I've actually gone to trainings on this very thing, and they tend to be extremely simplistic, and I tend to be very eye-rolly in these trainings because they're so simplistic. I think I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it wasn't that long ago that I was in a room full of other clinicians and professors, and one of the clinicians' professors said basically something to the effect that they believed it was completely unethical just to have a Facebook page. They, you know, they were saying so and so therapist, she has a Facebook page, and that is just unethical. And this wasn't that long ago, you know, this wasn't like 2006 or something. This was recent, and these are the sort of things that are out there that the, the simplistic, non nuanced points of view. Because people don't understand the principles, because the principles are kind of complicated, and so they they just uh, sort of by default. Because there's nothing there's nothing unethical about not having a Facebook page, right? Like if you if you're a therapist and you don't have a Facebook page, there's nothing wrong with that. Whereas if you do have a Facebook page, depending on what you do with it, there could be something wrong with that. And so I find a lot of people because they don't know how to think about this sort of stuff, they tend to just err on the side of saying, well, it's unethical to have a Facebook page or it's unethical to Twitter anything. 
because they know that they're probably going to be okay if they follow that rule. And by all means, if you're out there and you have no idea what to do, you know, err on the side of safety. But on the other hand, it's just not realistic to say that every therapist is not going to have a Facebook page. Um, okay, so what are the ethics involved? Well, there are really two main ethical codes or areas, depending on your profession. Well, they're, all the professions share these marriage and family therapy, counseling, psychology, social work, other social workers. But basically there's two two main areas. One is is how do you make public statements? Most ethical codes include some clause that that talks about the ethics involved in making a public statement. Basically what this often refers to is if you're going to make a public statement, make sure that it's accurate and it represents the profession well. For instance, if I were to if I were to go online and say something like, you know, uh, Trump is narcissist has narcissistic personality disorder, I just let's just use that as as an example. If I went online and said I've diagnosed President Trump with narcissistic personality disorder, that is actually an unethical thing to do because I've never assessed him and I've never I don't have consent to say that even if I did assess him. And so not only is it a public statement that is basically unfounded, but it's also, it makes the profession look bad and therefore harms all of us. Now, if a, a non-therapist, just a layperson, wants to say that Trump has narcissistic personality disorder, I'll point at them and say, how do you know that? But they can say that, and there's nothing there's nothing unethical about it because they don't have to follow an ethical code. You could say they have to follow a moral code, but there's no there's no ethical code, there's no ethical board that they're going to get in trouble with. And so, when whenever therapists make public statements, it's important to make sure you're accurate. A, a more calm example would be if you uh, you know said ninety percent of American couples get divorced. Well, everyone knows that's wrong, and so you it's it's unethical technically to say things in public that are that are wrong and that could potentially harm people but anyway so that's one small thing but the main ethical code that we need to think about here is do no harm we we strive to benefit our clients and we strive to reduce negative impacts on our clients when you self-disclose in any form, but also online, your credibility as a therapist could be damaged. If you have a, you know, a train wreck of a life, if you have pictures of yourself as, you know, extremely intoxicated on some substance, if you are online sounding completely unhinged, if a, if a thera- if a client hears you saying and acting in those ways it can it can reduce your credibility now it shouldn't reduce your credibility because all therapists are human beings and prone to becoming unhinged and prone to having a a binge every now and then so there's nothing inherently harmful but the client will will think there's something wrong with you and therefore it will harm the relationship and harm the therapy. And so that's that's just something to keep in mind. 
Also, clients may become overly concerned about the therapist's private life. I've actually seen this before. Actually, I think even listeners have written in about this. They will learn a little bit about their therapist's personal life, and they'll become almost obsessed about it because the relationship with the therapist is so intense for them that when they learn something about their personal life, it's hard for the client to forget that and hard for them to not focus on it. Also, if you disclose too much online, it could translate into in-session boundaries being threatened. If a client has problem with boundaries anyway, they might start encroaching on your boundaries even more if they learn more about you online. And also, highly symptomatic clients or you know clients who are at risk of, of high symptoms might be particularly vulnerable to learning about the therapist's personal life and therefore be harmed by learning about their personal life online. So that's the main ethical area to think about is just when you disclose things on in any form, either, either verbally with a client or you know anything, but online as well, it, it could potentially harm the relationship and the treatment, which of course we want to avoid. Just a little research that I found, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but basically it found that about 30% of therapists don't consider their online information at all. <laughs> They're like a lot of therapists were found to never review what's online and had no idea how to change their privacy settings on Facebook. Which, when I first read that statistic, I was like, 30% of therapists don't know how to or, or aren't mindful of their Facebook privacy settings. I thought, my God, that's, that doesn't seem right. But then I just sort of did a mental census in my mind of all the therapists I know. at the, you Because know, we're, we're not just talking about 22-year-old therapists. We're talking about you know 83-year-old therapists. Yeah, I, I, I suspect there are a lot of therapists out there who – don't even know that Facebook privacy settings are even a thing. Um, I mean, I barely understand the Facebook privacy settings. It can be extremely complicated. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's a big problem. Okay, so here's my, my approach is it's all about the consequences and it's all about knowing the consequences. You, as a therapist, you got to think about where you want to be on the spectrum of disclosures. Do you want to be a blank a blank screen or do you want to be a painted screen or you know or what what place in that spectrum do you want to be? You want to consider the consequences and consult with others regarding the consequences. You also want to periodically review what's public and you want to think about it. I just did it as I was writing my notes for this episode. I googled myself again. You want to do it incognito mode just to make sure that it's the view that other people will get. And I didn't find anything. And I'm all over the internet. Do you know what I mean? There's a lot of shit on me on the internet, you know. And I, you know, everything looked fine to me. And you, and if you don't know how to evaluate it, you might want to have someone else Google you and tell you what they see, another therapist or an expert that knows about this sort of thing. Also, another consideration that I want everyone to think about is that as a therapist, you deserve to live your life within reason. You know, if you want to take a political action and that's going to be seen on the Internet, then, you know, just consider the consequences. But it, 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 
you, you should be able, you know, all therapists shouldn't be barred from attending a political rally, for instance, that might be televised or, you know, might have journalists there or something, or might even have their clients there. There's, you know, or even innocuous things like running a marathon. If you run a marathon, you're in public and your client might see you. That's a, that's, you know, it's a disclosure. And, you know, should all therapists not be allowed to do stuff like that? No, I don't think so. I think it, it's, it's within reason. Um, but, you know, as I was saying earlier, if you work with clients that are particularly vulnerable to learning things about you, then you just have to be careful. Now, the consequences, uh, as I, just to summarize the consequences that can happen, again, harm to clients. They might feel judged by you, like if you go, if you publicly talk about hating Trump and then you have a Trump supporter come into your office, they, you know, they're naturally going to have some feelings about that, that, that might interfere with, with your relationship. Or you've been treating someone for five years who's a Trump supporter and you hate Trump and you go on record as saying you hate Trump, then your client might be really hurt by that. Or better yet, or worse yet, if you characterize Trump supporters as a bunch of idiots, a bunch of racist dumbasses, and one of your clients happens to be a Trump supporter or, or has a family member who is a Trump supporter, then, you know, that's hurtful. That's, that's, that's going to compromise the therapeutic relationship. Um, also, another harm to clients, like I said before, is they might no longer respect you. If you have stuff online that makes you look particularly adolescent, <laughs> then the client might completely lose respect for you and therefore harm the therapy. Some therapists would welcome this in therapy, you know, like, okay, you lost some respect for me. Let's talk about it. Or, okay, you feel judged by me. I'm, I, I hate Trump. You like Trump. Let's talk about it. So there are there even if you run into that, you can approach that differently. But other therapists would not really want to have that conversation or not wouldn't want that complication. And so just kind of again, you just have to think about contemplate these kinds of consequences and what the risks are and where you want to be. If you want to be the sort of therapist that you know, hey, I hate Trump. How do you, I think you're a Trump supporter. Let's talk about it. You know, let's hash that out. If if that's the sort of therapist you want to be, then self disclosing isn't so bad. But if you don't, if you're not that kind of therapist, then it changes things. Also, what I haven't talked about uh, in too much detail yet is the online disclosing can actually benefit clients. Like in the example given in the Guardian article, a client could learn to trust you more, depending on the situation. They could also see you as more human, which is what some therapists are really going for. They want the therapist to be seen as a human being, not as a god. And so making online disclosures might help with that. Um, and just to get personal, I know that some of my clients listen to this podcast, and I'm not, I'm not ever saying anything directly to a particular client, but there are things that I'm saying sometimes that – if my client came across, one of my clients came across, they might actually, in my mind, I, I would predict they might actually benefit from what I'm saying. You know, if, I, if I'm saying something like, 
have compassion for yourself or it's normal to, you know, da-da-da-da-da. It, it just might further reinforce the therapy that I'm doing with someone. So making a disclosure on the Internet isn't necessarily only a bad thing or a neutral thing. It can actually be a good thing if you if you do it right. My approach, my personal approach in terms of where I've landed on the spectrum, because remember, anywhere on the spectrum is okay as long as you have considered the consequences. But I try to personally limit what's out there, which is totally ironic since I disclose a lot on the podcast. But I don't disclose things that I think would negatively impact my relationships with my clients or my clients. I have deleted tons of stuff from this podcast. Like, you know, we'll record the podcasts and particularly in the beginning, because I wasn't so good at uh, editing myself as I, or censoring myself as I was talking. (laughs) And so I went back a lot and deleted a lot, particularly in the past. I mean, I, in the first couple years or uh, first year, I cut probably 80 to 90% of what we recorded (laughs) because most of it was just shit, but also a lot of it was self-disclosing. And so I would, I would delete it. Now the sort of things that I might delete are boring bits, which maybe some of you might think, really? You edit out the boring bits? Because sometimes it gets kind of boring. But no, believe me, there are, particularly in conversations, you know, when you're in a conversation with someone, there's a lot to think about in my head. And so sometimes I'm not listening for whether or not it's boring or not. And so sometimes I'll delete stuff like that. But also political rants. I've I've gone on long political rants and then I'll just take it out later on. Be- one, because I don't know what I'm talking about because I know enough about politics to know that I know very little about politics. But also just because this isn't a political podcast and I, I rarely say anything very compelling regarding politics anyway, so it's not compelling, but also because I don't want to self-disclose that amount of stuff to clients on the internet. So, you know, I think about that. You know, I have clients at all ends of the political spectrum. And if I were to just let it all go, I would, I would alienate some of my clients. I mean, honestly, (laughs) if I really uh, allowed my rants to be heard, I'd probably alienate everyone because my, my political point of view is, is it's not shared by many people. And so, uh, I mean, I'm not like a libertarian or, you know, anarchist or anything, but I just, I just tend not to side with anybody at this point. But anyway, maybe I'll cut that out. (laughs) Okay. The bottom line is consider all the angles as a therapist. You know, is it okay to Google your therapist? Yes, as a as a it's okay. So here's the bottom line: If you're a client, should you Google your therapist? Well, think about the consequences. What if you find some stuff that damages things? Um, it's the same as if you were, I don't know, working with someone and you Google them. Uh, I once was working with someone, and a, 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 another coworker Googled him. And we learned this really weird thing about him. And it, I could never look at the guy the same way again. And I, it harmed my relationship with him because 
I knew this sort of wacky detail about his personal life because of what my coworker, you know, Googled about him. And so as a therapist, just, or as a client, just think carefully, you know, just because you're curious doesn't mean that it should be satisfied. And, uh, so, you know, just be careful with that. And, and think to yourself, what if I learn about his sexual life? What if I learn about his family life? What if I see pictures? What if I learn about his political views? What is that going to do to me as a client? And the same goes as a, as a therapist. If this is out there, how is that going to impact clients? Because the thing that I, that I just, the assumption I always run on is everything that is on the internet, all of my clients have seen. Now, of course, only a percentage of my clients have probably Googled me or you know listened to this podcast. But everything I put on the internet, I just assume that a, that a client is going to see. Even stuff that I put on Facebook. So I have I have extremely tight Facebook security uh, to the point where the last I checked, the only if you're not a Facebook friend of mine, the only thing you can see is my profile picture because Facebook forces you to allow that to be seen. And I think by you know that that bigger picture in the background, the background picture. And so I I have extremely tight Facebook security. But what if a friend of a what if a friend of a friend is a client, or what if someone what if a client is a hacker and hacks into my Facebook account? So I just everything I put even on my Facebook I just I just assume or I I always run it through my head of what if a client saw this, and and so you know there's just something I always think about. So the bottom line is consider all the angles as a therapist and as a client. If you're a therapist, you want to educate yourself about this. You want to consult. And again, consider the consequences. You know, consider the consequences of your policy. The, the point is, is you, you want to develop a policy so that you don't have to think about every single – you want to think about every single disclosure, but you want to have a – I have a general policy that I follow, so I don't really have to think that much about every single disclosure I make because I, I've, over the years, slowly developed a – policy that I feel good about. And I've consulted with others, which you always want to do, consult. And then you want to, and then you want to, so you want to make a policy, consider the consequences, consult, educate yourself, consider all the angles. Then you want to follow that policy. That's important. And then you want to periodically review that policy and revise. And you always want to Google yourself. And the best way to Google yourself is to put quotes around your name. So for instance, Kirk Honda, if I just Google Kirk Honda, without putting quotes around my name, I'll get a lot of like Honda car things. <laughs> but if you put quotes around my name and it forces the search engine to look for that exact phrase, Kirk space Honda, then you get much more specific information. Many of you know that already. But you might have to search for different iterations of that to see what's out there because your clients will do that. Your clients will, won't just type in your name. They'll put quotes around it. They'll... They'll type in other iterations, you know, Kirkana therapist, or you know, they'll they'll do all sorts of stuff. I'll, I'll tell you one thing that happened. I think I talked about this podcast before. I'm not sure. Years ago, I don't know, like four or five years ago, during one of my periodic googling of myself, and and whenever I just another side jack here, whenever I talk about this, inevitably someone will say, 
well, isn't it a little narcissistic to Google yourself? And I just think like, I think you're missing the point of Googling yourself in this situation. But anyway, I Googled myself four or five years ago and on like page five, that's the other thing you want to, you want to look deep and you want to look at the images too. But anyway, uh, on page five or 10 or this is way deep. There was someone who was using my name as an alias on this really kind of sketchy porn site of some sort. So someone, you know, when you're on a sketchy porn site, you come up with a fake name, right? Like Big John or something. <laughs> and for some reason, someone randomly, I'm guessing, I hope, ran, I hope it's not someone I know trying to pull, you know, fake like they're me. God, I wonder if it Because Kirk Honda isn't like Big John or, or like, you know, uh, sexy nymph 69, you know, Kirk Honda is not, it's like, why would you pick that name? But someone did, someone picked Kirk Honda. And so I was terrified. If, I was like, what if someone comes across this and thinks this is me, you know? I mean, I'm sex positive. There's nothing wrong with being in port site, but I, I just, I just didn't want that to be a question mark for clients. And so I contacted that person. There's a way of, of emailing them or something. And I said, this is my name. Can you please pick a different fake name? Because this is me. <laughs> and I and I'm, you know, there's another Kirkonda in the world too. You should pick some generic thing, you know, big can I suggest Big John or Sexy Nymph 69, you know, something like that. There's there's a lot of different fake names you can choose other than Kirk Honda. <laughs> so please stop. So that's another thing you can do is is, you know, you want to not only look at what's online, but manage it. You can ask websites to delete information. and, and Or uh, another thing, actually, Rebecca Bloom has talked about this on the podcast before. There are things on her, about her on the Internet that she has tried to take down that she can't get taken down. And so what she will do, I think, is she will talk with her clients sometimes and say, look, if you ever Google me, you might come across this and this and this, and I just want to provide an explanation because blah, blah, blah. So that's another thing you might be you know, forced to do if, if you can't get stuff off, off the internet. So should you Google your therapist? The answer to that question is consider the consequences. Do you really want to know? Do you really want to open that Pandora's box? Because you might not like what you see. Can you Google your therapist? Sure. Should you Google your therapist? Probably not. I can't, I can't imagine a situation where it would be like a high enough likelihood that it would be a good idea to recommend that. And on the other side of the coin... Should therapists manage their online information? Yes. So that, I mean, in a perfect world, every therapist would manage what's online. That's, you know, that's a self-disclosure. And then I could say to all clients, you know, Google away. Google all your therapists because every therapist has scrubbed the internet clean of anything that would harm the therapy with you. But that's just not the case. So... That's my answer to those questions. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of, of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me, patrons. Please take care of yourself and Google yourself because you deserve it. Mm-hmm.